Father, that's uh, all we can do, but Lord, indeed, it is the best that we can do to trust you, trust you no matter what is going on around us or in our families and our lives, to trust you no matter what is going on in the world around us. Lord, you are the creator of the universe. You have a plan and you have a purpose. That extends from the far reaches of the cosmos down to the individual, the youngest or the oldest who is here this morning. And so we take great hope in the expression of your word through this song that we have just finished singing to you. Now we pray that as we open your word and we consider the text of what we have been looking at for at least a week or so in this great letter of the Apostle Paul to young Timothy, a pastor at the church of Ephesus. We pray that we would glean from this teaching exactly what we need as a church family to do what is needed so that we can help one another grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are grateful for that. I am grateful for that. And pray now for the empowering of your Holy Spirit as I preach these words, share these scriptures with this, your body of believers, this church family here at Heritage. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our reigning Savior. Amen. When the Apostle Paul instructs the young church pastor, Timothy, in how to correct problems in the church, he does so in the context of family. Last week we said this, this week we will say this, we say it hopefully every week, that the church really is a spiritual family defined not by physical descent, but by spiritual birth. Paul says this in Romans, and then John reminds us that we are sons of the Most High God, that through faith we have become children of God. Those are family terms. And therefore, family, and not just being acquaintances, should define us here at Heritage. Indeed, if you are visiting here from another church, that ought to be what defines you as well. Now, I think we can all acknowledge that physical families deal with sin problems. In fact, I looked at it this week. Did you know that in Scripture there are only four chapters in the entire Bible without sin, Genesis 1 and 2, and Revelation 21 and 22, every chapter in between the beginning and the end of the Bible has something to do with the sin problem that impacts individuals and families and churches. So the church family deals with sin. And until we graduate into the presence of Jesus, and I look forward to that day, I hope you do too, we will deal with weaknesses and blind spots and sin and defection in the family. And I'm not just talking about the nuclear family, your family. I'm talking about the family of believers in every local church body. So, Paul at the end or toward the end of this letter to the church at Ephesus and specifically to Timothy, he is beginning in chapter 5. I hope you've already turned there. He is beginning to deal with that. He's beginning to, to give instructions to Timothy on how to confront and to correct people in the church who have strayed either in doctrine or in lifestyle. Now, this is vitally important to us, as it was to the church at Ephesus. And some of you are aware, I'll go ahead and 
and, and point to that at the end uh, of our service today. You'll be dismissed, and then the members will be asked to come back in for a church family meeting. And one of the things that we will be doing is talking about this issue of church discipline. And so, lo and behold, here we are in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We introduced these verses this last week. We're wrapping it up with verse 2, or or the second part of verses 1 and 2 in chapter 5. And this gives us a template for exactly what we are doing today and exactly what every church needs to be doing with humility and with gentleness and yet with firmness. So read with me. You read silently as I read this aloud, and we will enter into our first point, five points in this message today. I know I'm supposed to do a three-point sermon. We've got five. And don't worry, we will finish on time. But let me preface it by giving the first point. The church has a ministry of correction for straying members. It really does. Every church, every local church. So here are the instructions. Watch the family context of what Paul is telling Timothy in this. Verse 1, do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father. Now, I'm going to put with this, and I have selected descriptions of what it might look like. Now, we're talking about the ideal. Again, I know that not every family is going to have the ideal situation going on. But it ought to look like this. Younger men within the family ought to approach a father with respect. And let me just say this, and particularly to some of the younger ones here, if you cannot respect a father, maybe because of his lifestyle, then at least respect the position that God has put him in. And so I could think of no better word, and I've supplied this, okay? This is not supplied by Paul to Timothy. But if in the church we need to correct an older man, this was Timothy who was probably, again, 30-ish, maybe 35, something like that. And in the church, if he had to correct an older man, he was to do it with, I believe, as a father, with respect. He goes on, younger men. Now, it's interesting, there are only two genders mentioned here in the church. I, I talked more about this last week. That's it. That's all that God created. And we grow up, we're younger, and then we get older. So only two divisions and two subdivisions. So older men, you approach as you would a father with respect. I supplied that. Now, what about younger men? Peers for Timothy, guys that are more his age, you approach them as you would a brother. Now, I know all about brotherly sibling rivalry, but best case scenario If you've got something, if you see something in a brother, you love that brother enough to approach him and to talk with him. But here you go with a sense of humility. I know it's hard because most of you feel like that you're smarter than your brother, right? Younger or older, it really doesn't matter. For sure you know that mom liked you better than the other one. So you approach that brother with humility. You're self-effacing. You're not trying to lord it over. You're not trying to say, I'm better than you, so I'm telling you, here's what you need to do. You approach that younger man, as you would a brother, with humility. Now, let's go back to the other category. Only two men and women. So what about an older woman? Can older women stray in doctrine and in lifestyle? Uh Uh-huh. We talked last week about Yodia and Syntyche the church at Philippi. They had strayed. I think they got a hold of some bad doctrine, but for sure they were squabbling with each other, and they needed to be corrected. And so Paul wrote to the leader, we're not sure who. By the way, it's kind of interesting. Again, Paul never names either the problem they were squabbling about or the person who was going to do the correction. He just said, correct these older women, but do it. Now watch this. How do you correct a mother? 
tenderness, with gentleness. Now, again, I supplied that looking at the Proverbs, looking at all of the different ways that we see the Scripture in terms of family relationships. And this is the way I believe that Paul is saying this. In the church, we're going to need correcting because we all have blind spots and shortcomings and we, we, we mess up, we stumble, we fall, all the rest of that. Sometimes we deviate and we sin, and so the correction is to take place. But a reminder, within the context of a family now, how do you, Timothy, you're a young man in your 30s, maybe up to 40, how do you correct younger women? We're going to come back to this because this is the only place that I did not su supply how you are to relate to the younger women as sisters. Paul supplied it. And he didn't have a hang-up about it. He was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Again, we'll come back to this and the importance of why Paul put this in here. And when you deal with younger women, deal with them as you would a sister in all purity. I, I looked back at it. I, I tried to exegete it so that maybe it, this purity applied to all of it, and certainly it does. But specifically, Paul is saying, when you relate to the younger women in the church, do it in all purity. Why? Because God's goal for His church is to grow. He wants His church to be holy. And that's not going to happen without loving correction in the context of a family relationship. The church, let me say it even more specifically, heritage is supposed to look different. We are supposed to be different. We're supposed to look like what a family should look like. And Paul had a passion for the church. And so his purpose for the church, going by, all the way back, you remember 25 sermons ago, this is about where we were in the first chapter of Timothy, the aim of our charge. Look at the family nature. It's just dripping with this kind of picture. The aim of our charge, even as we get to chapter 5, is love, agape love, that issues from what kind of heart? A pure heart. And you're not going to have the next thing without the pure heart. I can't, you can't, a good conscience which grows out of that pure heart and then a sincere faith. And that's his goal for us in the church. Our goal for the church is that these issues, we not only know, li listen please, what to say, we get that from sound doctrine, but how to say it. And so we need to say it in the right way. How we handle things in the church, including what we do today at the end of the church, time together, our worship time together, how we handle things in the church will be directly related to how we see each other. And I said it before, more than just acquaintances, that we need to see each other as a father, mother, brother, and sister. Second point that we need to get to. Elders and church members are responsible, both of them, elders and church members are responsible for good doctrine and godly living. We go back to chapter 4. We just finished chapter 4. Paul says this. This is a word for Timothy, but isn't this a word for you and me? I, I, all of us here in the church. Shouldn't each one of you, young or old, Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching, your doctrine. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so that's what Paul has been doing. He's been laying out all through this letter the pattern for sound doctrine and godly living throughout this. And we go back again to chapter 4. Remind ourselves, if you put these things before the brothers, people, this is what I seek to do Sunday after Sunday, knowing that I've got a wide 
audience, but I know that if I put these things, these teachings of sound doctrine before the brothers, by the way, that includes the sisters. That's brethren and sistering, okay? You will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, and that's what I want to be. Being trained, that word is nourished. First thing is be nourished in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine which you have followed and then have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, not only in the church, but in our culture. Oh, my. Are there silly myths that are out there? And it it doesn't matter which political party you belong to. There are irreverent, silly myths have nothing to do with them, but rather train. Well, that word is train, exercise. It, it's the word from which we get our, our word gymnasium. That's where it comes from. We need to exercise. So nourish ourselves in the sound doctrine of the word and then exercise ourselves for the purpose of godliness. That's what the whole letter is about. By the way, that's what the whole Bible is about. That's why we meet together. Share the word. This is not rocket science, folks. This is just the application of the word of God as he lays it out. Now, I just said, look at the title of it. It's not just the elders who do it. Sometimes we do. This is is not a megachurch, but it's a big enough church where I am simply not going to be aware of everything that's happening. And so this charge is not just given to the elders and the leaders, it's given to every individual. In fact, what the leaders are supposed to be doing is equipping the saints. How many of you are saints today? Oh, some of you need to get saved. (laughs) The shepherds and the teachers are equipping the saints for what? The work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. It's it's our job. It's all of our job. Some of the best, listen, of all the things that people could say about our church, one of the things that brings my heart the most joy is to say, I've heard that your church is a healthy church. Biblically healthy. I don't care about numerical growth nearly as much as I care about healthy. Healthy churches will grow in the way that our sovereign God has determined that we will grow. But listen to me, this is very, very important. Some of the best ministry in a healthy church happens through those who never hold a microphone. And preachers who think it's all, it's all up to me, it's all up to us. No, no, it's you who sit out in the pews. In fact, I put this down here, the ministry of the pulpit and the pew. And that's what's going to make for a healthy church. Third point, let's move on. Loving and redemptive confrontation, now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, is not just a nicety, it is a necessity. Don't Rebuke, Paul says, but encourage. We must confront sin. What is sin? Sin is transgression of the law. 1 John 3, 4. Sin is any deviation from the law, the moral law, which represents the character of God It's any deviation from that or the commands of Christ. Remember that just the law didn't go far enough because Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, go to the heart and find out that what we're really looking for is the heart. Now, what we need to confront will either be a doctrinal issue, somebody who is straying from sound doctrine, and, and some of you have seen the, the template that we use as elders so that we know what we go to the mat for. The five solas, the Apostles' Creed, the basic doctrines of the faith. We've got a little bit more give or liberty in the, the, the concentric circles that go out from that. 
we don't have to agree about everything about the finer points of your eschatology, right? I've already shared that with you in order for us to maintain fellowship. Now, we do, again, go to the mat over the nature of the Trinity or the person of Christ, see? So those things are very, very important. And when you see somebody straying from these bedrock doctrinal issues or a lifestyle that does not live up to those, that's when we need to confront. Now, here's a very important thing, okay? I thought, okay, Lord, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm telling our church, or you individuals, to be uh, obedience Nazis. I, that's just a word that came to me as I was thinking about this. I, I, our goal is not. Our goal is love. Loving somebody enough to confront. Okay. But we don't want people just going around looking for ways that you mess up. Or there's going to be a line with me. And Jan's going to be at the front of the line. So I, I was looking at this. Listen, I need to know this, and so my guess is you need to know this. We need to know when to cover an offense and to confront a sin. There's a difference. I spent a lot of time in the Proverbs this last week. Good sense makes one slow to anger, all right? And it is His glory to overlook an offense. We, we need to know the difference. Here's a second one that, that dovetails with this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Only Jesus can cover our sins eternally, but love covers those offenses that seem to crop up again and again and again. Now, a lot of this has to do with somebody says something. It's, it, it's not a an attack. It's, it, somebody says something and maybe it's a misunderstanding or maybe they slip up and there's no need to always be jumping on somebody. That's what it means, love covers. Does that make sense? Okay, it needs to. Love covers. And I'll tell you what, if you don't have a love covers attitude in your marriage, I, I just, I feel sorry for you. You've got to have a love covers but you've also got to have a love confronts when there is a deviation from a doctrinal issue. Your husband or wife says, I don't believe that Jesus was God, the Son. You don't cover it. Love doesn't cover sin. It covers offenses. It's never good to cover a sin. Let me, I've used this line so many times. I, I don't know if you've heard it or not. But I am grateful for this with, with you. The one who loves you the most is the one who will tell you the most truth about yourself. And I'm grateful, and I'll just use us, Jan and me as an example, that I'm grateful that she, I know she I know she covers a lot of offenses. I know that. But I am so grateful that she loves me enough to confront a sin pattern. And that's what will happen. Maybe a slip-up will happen and she'll cover. But if there is a pattern that is leading to a sinful lifestyle, she'll love me enough to confront. The one who loves you the most is the one who will tell you the most truth about yourself. Again, out of the Proverbs, better is an open rebuke. This is the good word, rebuke. We need reproving. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse or deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. 
There is a time to confront sin that eventually could hurt that individual or individual, not just the individual, but ultimately would hurt the church. And that's why Jesus, Paul said it, but Jesus said it too, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. That's a good word for rebuke. And if he repents, forgive him. It's as simple as that. So again, I, I hope you've got what I'm, what I'm trying to say. There is a time to overlook an offense and there is a time to confront. Maybe it's an indiscretion. Maybe it's a seemingly innocent, I'll put quotes around that, but potentially compromising situation that could lead to sin. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, keep a watch on yourself. Keep a watch on yourself and your doctrine. And when you approach someone in your church, and he specified the younger woman, you do it in all purity. Proverbs 7, 7, 6 and 7 talked about Solomon looking out through the window of his house. And, and by the way, it's interesting if, if you feel like that Paul was picking on sexual sins, do you realize that in the book of Proverbs, all of chapter 5, chapter 6, half of it, and all of chapter 7, have to do with sexual sin. That's, that's a pretty good amount out of all of the chapters of Proverbs. In the New Testament, when Paul lists sins, usually what is either number one or two or three right at the top of the list? Sexual immorality. Let me just stop here. Was that because Paul as a single man just had a, he just had a hang-up? I, I, I've been actually told that. Ah, he just had a hang-up, personal hang-up. He was projecting his own problems. And that's one of the reasons why, folks, we're not going to do a perfect job of anything that we do. But years ago, and especially after Jonathan came, we began to look at music, and music comes from groups. They come from individuals. Those individuals or groups or ministries have beliefs. And so to sing a song, even if it's a good song, musically, makes you weep, all the rest of that, maybe even has some okay words, but it comes from a ministry that is compromised because of doctrine and usually you'll find out later on it's not just doctrine, it's lifestyle. Somebody this week said, have you seen this new movie that's out? It's a Hillsong expose. I haven't. Hear my heart on this. Are you surprised? That, that leaders have been accused of immorality. The guy that started the church, the father, there, there is no doubt. I'm just sharing with you what is out there in the headlines, at least some headlines. Sexual compromise. Fiscal mismanagement. All of the rest of that. Now that grows out of doctrinal impurity because they were a church that was off-center with the so-called prosperity gospel. And so we made a decision not to sing songs from Hillsong. That surprised some people. It, it messed some people up. And there are other ministries that I can mention that are doctrinally unsound. But in order to put before you sound doctrine, not just in what we're preaching, but what we're singing is vitally important. 
That's one of the reasons that we have done that. There is a need for you to be discerning. Now, this, this is a choice and, and a decision that the elders made. But hopefully you are discerning as well. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews said, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their, look at this, powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And that is our heart's desire. The love that grows out of this pure heart and this uncompromised faith, and it all has a starting place. You see, these things are not isolated. I'll, I'll never forget. I, one of my favorite teachers in seminary was Dr. Bill Toller. He died a few years ago. I took, I took Dr. Toller for every course that I could. I took him for archaeology, biblical archaeology, New Testament theology, anything that he taught, any other books of like the Greek New Testament. And I don't remember everything he said, but I will never forget. I'm sitting in this classroom with all of these young guys that aspire to be preachers. And he's, he's going along, and he, he uh, talked, he was from Louisiana, talked with his southern accent, he talked fast, but he stopped in mid-sentence, and he said, students, you preach boys, you listen to me, you listen to me. He said, when you're up there preaching, and you see a sparkle in a woman's eye that is not your wife, you better make sure it is not the reflection of the gleam in your own eye. You know, that was worth the entire three years of seminary. And I'm serious. We're to take every thought captive. I said I've been reading through the Proverbs, and when Solomon comes to that young man, that young fool, he talks about a progression. The young man, he, first of all, there's the look. Then there's the flattery. Then there's the lingering thought. Remember that no, John MacArthur said this, no one ever just falls out of a tree. And then there's the rendezvous. Then there's the touch. Then there's the act. And when I said that those words were worth all of seminary to me, going through a youth pastorate, two youth pastorates, and then into the pastorate, and watching, this, this would be common, and these guys have shared their testimony. When you've got a pastor who is known throughout the SBC at 65 years of age, I'm talking about J.T. Elif, who leaves his wife, no biblical grounds, to marry another woman, that didn't just happen. And it caused a, a rift. Uh, he, he's with the Lord now, reconciled to his wife, thankfully, and to his boys. Tom wrote a, his, one of his sons. His sons are preachers and daughter married to a preacher. But, but this, this will haunt. This, this is why I said that was one of the best pieces of advice I could ever get. He commits adultery lacks sense. That's what Solomon said. I've seen this, this, this senseless man. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. And we are living Please, again, hear my heart on this. We are living in a culture saturated when we can have a month devoted to disgrace. 
of rejecting the clear creation and mandate of God of one man, one woman, for a lifetime of marriage and productivity. And we say this humbly, loving those who are entrapped and praying for those. Trapped in one of, it's just absolute, what did I say a minute ago? Irreverent and silly myths. And we devote a month of being proud over these things. What we need to do as believers, I need to do this, is devote not just a month but every day to boasting only in the cross of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And that is our only hope and that is their only hope and that's why we take the message not of hate. We will be called haters to even say that it's wrong. But we do so with a hopefully a firmness and a humility. Prayer. They will see the light and come out of this. Let's look at the Okay, here we go. The last two points. How do we not do this ministry of confrontation? Okay, here's the way we don't do it. How not to confront for redemptive purposes. It's always the goal. Do not rebuke. This word is, this is the only time this word is used. The cognate is found in chapter 3, verse 3. It means to pound. It means to be a striker. It means to be violent. So when correction is necessary with either an older man, younger man, older woman, younger woman, in all four cases, he says, don't pound or strike. When correction is necessary, there is no need to go on the attack, to condemn, to be harsh, to pick a fight. You can be serious without being surly. And that's what Paul is saying. Timothy, you've you got to correct, but please don't do it like this. It, it's not gonna, it, you're not going to win the day if you do that, but here's how to do it. You encourage. What does that word mean? It's the word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit, to come alongside, come alongside that person, love that person enough to tell them the truth about themselves. The purpose of gentle but firm restoration of those who are caught by sin is not only their restoration, but the protection of the church. And to not do this, to point it out and to point to the seriousness of the sin and the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ is a wrong response that will only lead to damage for the person if he continues but also harm for the church. So it's not just to, to, to correct and to restore that brother or sister to a relationship with God and with his fellow man, but it's also to protect the church of Jesus Christ. Whoever corrects a scoffer... By the way, don't let this possibility keep you from loving someone enough to confront. And I can tell you, I've, I've done this enough where... This will probably be what you get most often. Whoever corrects a scoffer will himself get abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer. Now, we need to confront them or he will hate you. Just know that he may hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. And so you pray that those to whom you bring correction will be wise enough. Let's finish this up. How do you do this? What are the practical steps? By the way, again, this teaching, I, I'd already planned on doing this when we got here, and we're doing church discipline as a body of Christ after we dismiss in just a few minutes. Perfectly dovetailed. So if you want to know why does your church do this, perhaps you've already discerned from what I've been teaching this is one of the reasons why we do this even publicly. So let's look at Galatians 1. Here is the heart. Here's the attitude. Then we're going to go to Matthew 18. Okay? So, you with me? All right. Here's the heart. 
Brothers, if anyone is caught, now this, is a, this is a brother or sister. The picture is they're walking toward Christ's likeness and sin overtakes them. Now, they choose it, but there is a caughtness, an overtakenness. If anyone is caught in any transgression, if you see me doing something, please, I give you permission to come and to correct. This is important that we give other people so that we, if we're caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, that leaves me out. I'm not spiritual. If you are born again of the Spirit, if you're a believer, and if you're seeking to walk by the Spirit, by definition, you are spiritual. You who are born again and are seeking to walk by the Spirit, you who are spiritual, restore. That's a word that means mend a net, set a broken bone. Restore him in a spirit of, say this word with me, gentleness. Again, not that word rebuke, which means to pound. And oh, by the way, doesn't Paul say this a lot in Jesus? Keep a watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Don't get too much into the details, all the rest of that. You're there to correct. Be careful. Watch your own heart so that you won't be tempted and fall into sin. Now, what does a spirit of gentleness look like? One of the, the, the passages that I love, and it, this has been misused. It's the log in the eye and, and the splinter, Okay? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Okay? And, and again, that starts with probably marriage and family and kids, and then it, it goes out into other relationships. It's easy to see the speck in your brother's eye. Why don't you notice the log that is in yours? And at that point, many people will say, oh, that means I'm not to correct someone because i got a log in my eye. No. Here's what Jesus said. You are to correct. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Deal with your own issues. And a lot of times it's going to be, you're going to notice that speck because the log is the same kind of wood. You following? Okay. You just don't see yours as, yours is probably a speck to the other person. But it's a log because it'll blind you to the reality. But here's what he says. He doesn't say not to correct. He wants you to correct. But first, deal with yourself. Take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And when you take that speck out, how do you do it? Do you do it rebuking, pounding, striking? You do it with what? Gentleness. Man, this is hard. It's, it's hard. That's hard to do. Somebody that's built like I am, I, it's just hard to do. I'm, here, here's how most of the time, and, and this, this is where it really shows up, is with family. And so it would be really, really easy for me to see a speck I'll just, I'll just use us as an example in Jan's eye, okay? I, I got a log in mine. It doesn't matter what it is. Most of the time in our little arguments or discussions or disagreements, we've forgotten in like a few minutes what it was about anyway. But, but seeing the speck, here's what it doesn't mean. If I Don't rebuke. Don't rebuke an older woman. Now, she didn't want me to call her that. A younger sister, okay? <laughs> Do it with gentleness. That doesn't mean I take the sword of the Word of God. Oh, I can take the sword. I can take my Swiss Army knife. Let me help you with that speck. Pound with that sword. And I'm, I'm going to, and you watch, you'll leave a bloody mess. 
What is the best thing? I've got a friend who's retired ophthalmic surgeon, and I asked him one time, Jeff, what is the best thing to remove, not embedded, but a, a, a little splinter that gets in your eye and you can't get it out? Should I get tweezers? What should I get? And he said, the best thing you can use is saline solution. And just pour the saline solution until it washes out. Do you know why saline solution? Oh, come on. It's the closest thing to tears. And that's, that's how correction needs to be done in the family of God. We're never not told to take the splinter out. We're told to do it with gentleness. And so there's a progress. There, there's a, a way to do it. Matthew 18 just says it like this. If you see a brother that sins against you, there's an offense or whatever, go privately where possible. Please go privately. Why? Why? What's the wisdom in that? Let the circle of correction be as wide as the circle of offense, first of all. Don't go and blab it to the church and get something out there that's going to be damaging to that person and to the church. Go privately. And do you know what's going to happen half the time? Well, I, I, I didn't know you meant that. There's going to be, you're going to clear up a misunderstanding half the time. But if there is a bona fide sin, a sin pattern, remember, going in that direction... You go and tell it to your brother. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't, by the way, no timetable is given. This, this could be short. This could be long. What's the next step? says it right here in Matthew 18. Go and take one or two with you to gang up. Is that the purpose? It's wisdom. And here's what I found. I remember in my first pastorate having to do this. I, I, didn't, I just didn't want to do this. But I, I looked at that, and, and we'd already confronted this guy. He's a member of our church. And so what I did was I found two guys that were his best friends. And I said, here, here is this problem with this guy, and it, it is causing a problem in our church. Have you seen this? Do you agree? And both of them said yes. And I will, I will never forget when we took that step and we had asked him to come into my office. Here he is sitting in front of me. I've got, I've got it written out because I'm so scared. I, I'm thinking I'm going to mess something. And so here's one of his friends on one side, one of his friends on the other. And I confronted him with the sin. Guess what he did? He looked at his friend first. Didn't even say anything. His friend said, he looked at the other friend. And he looked at me. And he said, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't see it. And he repented. And we, run, we, we won that brother. He's still serving the Lord. I don't know what would have happened if we let him go. He could have damaged the church, damaged himself, damaged relationships because it doesn't stay still. And I'm just so grateful for the wisdom that God gave and how to approach if that first step fails. Now, by the way, most people leave the church after the first two steps. They just, they're just gone. You don't see them anymore, and that's sad. That's sad. Many times we try to pursue. And in fact, one of the things that I do, if somebody joins another church and they write for a church letter, Usually it's a little slip of paper. Yes, they were members of the church. We don't do that. I write a personal letter asking, if you come and join our church, Bethany, if, if you said, I'm coming from this church, I, I don't remember what you said, but we ask the pastor of that church, is there anything we need to know? Is that person under church discipline? Why? To be helpful. To restore. That's always the purpose of church discipline. And then what we are doing today, we're doing the third step. If they still don't repent, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. Not just to tenders, to the church, to people that are members. So that those members will lovingly pray and 
where possible, go after that person who is continuing to sin. And then the fourth step, tell it again to the church, and this time remove them from church membership. They're out of the the church communion. Let them be to you as a tax gatherer and and a Gentile. What does that mean? Hate them? Come on. No. What do you do with tax gatherers and Gentiles? You love them enough to share the gospel with them. You treat them like lost people, which they are. We don't know the the condition of this person who is in this particular situation, but we pursue them and share the gospel with them so they will come back into the fellowship and be restored, not only to God, but to the people of God. Now, in order for that to happen, a person has to be a member of the church. We do this with church members. In order to be a church member, you must be regenerate. So we talk to everyone who joins our church. We do not want an unregenerate church membership, and we do our best to help them discern, have I come to a place in my life knowing that I'm a sinner before a holy God, and I deserve His wrath in hell for an eternity, but that He by His great grace, sent His Son. He became a man in Jesus Christ, and Jesus lived a perfect life and went to the cross. And I believe that Jesus died in my place for my sins, and I am appropriating that sacrifice for myself. That's what it means to become a Christian, to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that everyone here would do that Today, if you don't know Him, is the day of salvation. And then as we leave this place in just a few moments, that you would commit to being a family who loves each other enough to tell the truth and help people be restored in their relationship with God, relationship with others. Father, I thank You for the power of Your Word. I thank You that You give it to us clearly and Paul wanted Timothy and the church at Ephesus to walk in holiness, in purity of relationships. And so, Lord, you've given us instruction from your word of how to confront. And, uh, Lord, I pray that it not only is helpful for our gaining insight, but helpful for how to truly bring a person to a restoration and reconciliation with you and with other believers. So, Father, help us now as we respond to what you have told us to do, and uh, we will sing praise to you, help people to respond to the gospel message presented at the end of this sermon today. I pray in Jesus' name.